If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you bow your heads with me? We made it, Holy One, although there's dirt in our teeth. We slid head first into spring break, dust flying and limbs flailing. We're not sure at what point we lost a shoe, but that's the least of our worries. We made it through another semester. Some of us learned how to multiply and divide. Some of us learned how to explain how to multiply and divide. All of us have figured out how much we underpay our public school teachers. We confess that it wasn't as smooth as we would have liked. There was yelling, tempers were lost, not every assignment was turned in, not every assignment has been graded. We definitely will need to repeat, review, and relearn some concepts, but that's true for just about everything in life. And besides, we trust that all things are possible with God, which we assume applies to diagramming sentences and all the math. Hide in our hearts the lesson from this moment, Holy One, that we do not have to be perfect to get it right. We pray in the name of our teacher Jesus, who also had to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and all people. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the book of Exodus, Chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, 
and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. A year ago, we made the heartbreaking decision to stop in-person worship. Even now, the words catch in my throat a bit. It does not sound real, even though it feels very real. Last week, I named this reality in our time of community prayer, that yes, we've been the church, yes, we've worshiped, yes, we've done ministry, yes, we've fellowshiped, but still, this has been hard. The question of how to mark this moment has been the topic of conversation with my clergy cohorts since we turned the calendar page to 2021. A service of grief and lament? To be blunt, I didn't have it in me. I mean, the irony of creating another online-only worship service to mark the anniversary of when we started online-only worship service was just too much. You're welcome. Instead, I went back to the liturgy of that first pandemic Sunday, March 15th, 2020, to recall exactly how it was that we said we were going to face the moment in history that ruined the word unprecedented. At the time, we thought we would be doing this, worshiping online only, for just a few months, which makes me want to both laugh and cry. It was after this Sunday a year ago that Rick Bolin built us a teleprompter and this congregation began to work out how to be the church in a pandemic. I started that first pandemic era sermon by admitting that preaching to a camera was not my preferred method of sermon delivery. And all I have to say to my younger self is, girl, tighten your ponytail. While I couldn't bring myself to do a service of lament, I do think it's important to reflect on what we've done since now and then. So what follows is that same sermon, but with some notes about what we've learned. The text puts us in the wilderness with the ancient Israelites. Like all biblical stories, we don't know if it actually happened, but we know that this story is true. We are just a few chapters removed from the escape from slavery in Egypt. Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Sea of Reeds, or the Red Sea, and into the wilderness. We are familiar with the narrative. The Israelites wandered for 40 years before coming to the land of Canaan. What happened during those 40 years is pretty remarkable, and it should be, for this is one of the most important retellings of the formation of a people and their relationship with God. In many ways, Exodus is a book of organizing. By that, I do not mean that it is filled with tips about investing in clear containers and a label maker, but organizing in the sense of deciding how people are to live together, 
How should they exist in this new normal? The Israelites, after all, had just been freed from bondage. They could now make their own rules, establish their own norms, and set their own expectations. So it is that we find a version of the Ten Commandments in this book, as well as numerous practices, traditions, and rituals that were intended to help the Israelites remember that God is God, not anything or anyone else, and they should organize accordingly. But before that happens, the Israelites get thirsty. Very, very thirsty. And to be fair, they are in the wilderness. It's a bit dry. And they are understandably tired. The wilderness comes after an already exhausting existence. Remember that the book of Exodus begins with a paranoid Pharaoh ordering the Egyptians to make the lives of the Israelites miserable, followed immediately by the instructions to the midwives to kill all Hebrew baby boys. And while they were thrilled when Moses arrives to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, there were those ten plagues that had to be survived. And finally they are allowed to leave only for Pharaoh to change his mind and chase after them. At this point in the story, the Israelites have just managed to win a foot race across the Red Sea, even though the other team rode chariots. And now, they have just realized that Moses is not the Culligan man. So they complained to Moses. Other translations use chided, quarreled, grumbled, were angry, argued, found fault with Moses. This is not uncommon when it comes to pastors, and I do think Moses was a pastor. It must have been pretty bad because Moses tells God that the people are ready to stone him. Oh, Moses, I know the feeling, brother. Some days the pastor just can't win. People be mad at us over how the furniture is arranged or because we're using a new hymnal or because we can't read your mind. And you know if I'm talking to you. Generally speaking, my preacher friends and I are Team Moses on this one. Except we are talking about water, of course. It is a basic need. It is essential to the human body to function properly. It is required for survival. I understand how the Israelites were beginning to panic. I have no doubt that Moses knew this too. I have no doubt that Moses had no idea what to do. Like pastoring through a pandemic, coordinating the logistics of a supply train for that many people after escaping slavery was probably not a class Moses took in seminary. But everyone was looking at him, even though he hadn't been here before. He does not have a map. He does not have a cheat sheet. This is not fun for him. But again, everyone is looking at him, expecting him to do something. I think this is somewhat connected to not yet being organized as God intended. Remember, the Israelites were still learning who they are and how they will be a people. At times, and especially at the beginning of the Exodus story, the people treat Moses as if he is a demigod. Perhaps this is why so much of Exodus centers on organizing the people in ways that remind them that God is God not anything or anyone else. We know the rest of the story. Moses takes their complaints to God and 
like Elizabeth Warren, God has a plan for that. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of my people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. The gathering of the elders in this story is an important detail. Notice that God did not have Moses do this work alone. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. This is in part because before the first commandment is written, you shall have no other gods before me, it is embodied. Moses is not God. He alone will not solve this crisis or fix this problem. Instead, it will be done in community, a gathering of wisdom, lived experience, and creativity. And we know the rest of the story. Moses and the elders did what God instructed. The water came out of the rock, and people were relieved of their thirst. This is often read as a miracle story. But theologian Terence Freetham suggests that such an act ought not to be considered miraculous, as if the water were created out of nothing. Rather, water is understood to flow naturally in and through rock formations, if not always evidently so. The wilderness, then, is a challenge for those who live in it. But there is water coursing through its rock formations. There are resources for life provided by God in the midst of desolate places. These resources just need to be discovered. In other words, the water was there all along. The people just needed to find it. This was a word for us a year ago, and it is still a word for us now. We are still in the wilderness in so many ways, and certainly still in the context of the pandemic. Last year, we said that fear, uncertainty, and suspicion were all around us. We were grumbling, complaining, and quarreling because there really are things that should have been done to prevent this. Last year, I included a line about the colossal failure of President Trump's response to the pandemic, which began in 2018 with the dismantling of the team in charge of pandemic response and was made worse by the administration's dogged insistence on cutting the budgets of the Center for Disease Control and other public health agencies, I do not need to recount to you what happened over the following 10 months. This holds true for what I said about Governor Stitt's inept leadership at the state level, the least of which was his decision to spend $2 million purchasing a stockpile of hydroxychloroquine touting, touted as a miracle for our salvation. But just like our scripture lesson this morning, we did not and do not need a miracle for our salvation. Last year, we spoke about what we should not be doing to anyone or th anything, which was turning them into an idol responsible for saving us. And that holds true for this new presidential administration. No, the water has been here all along. If we believe our sacred stories to be true, then we know that what we need to deal with this particular challenge and what we need to organize ourselves as faithfully as we can is already available to us. 
This wilderness is a challenge, but we are not without a community of wisdom, lived experience, science, and creativity. These are the resources for life provided by God in the midst of the wilderness. The water has been here all along. A year into this pandemic, we know this to be true. We found the water and have been carrying it to each other. It's been in how we didn't quit the work and ministry of this congregation, even when we couldn't meet face to face. It was in the coming alongside of community partners to distribute school supplies, to collect necessities for our neighbors experiencing homelessness or leaving incarceration. It's been in the funds we gave to the Homeless Alliance so they can continue to do the most effective ministry possible. It's been in the generosity of this congregation to pay someone else's bills, stop evictions, fill empty gas tanks, and put food on someone else's table. The water was there all along. It's been in all the things we have taken for granted, flowing through our neighborhoods and churches, flowing through each other. It's been in the act of asking for help and offering to help. It's been in our opening of windows to let the breeze blow through the house, playing outside, making a dent in that stack of books by the bed. It's been in the decision to take up the lost art of letter writing, noticing how happy the dog is because the humans are home so much more. We have made it thus far by taking care of each other. It's been in our kindness, mercy, prayers, flexibility, the willingness to learn, and our relentless hope. The water has been here all along. We have become so much better at asking for and offering help. We know how to organize errand running, grocery shopping, Zoom tutoring, and porch visits. We discovered that the water has indeed been here all along, whether we are thirsty for help, thirsty to help, or a little bit of both. And now, as we move into a new part of the pandemic, the part where some of us have been able to get vaccinated and some of us are still in line and will be for a while, we will not start grumbling. Say it with me. We will not stop grum we will not start grumbling. Not now. No grumbling about, well, it's safe for me, so let's do it. No grumbling about still needing to practice warmth from a distance. No grumbling about wearing masks when necessary. No grumbling about how we still can't do everything we used to do. We know that we do not need to grumble because we know that what we need is already available to us. A community that loves each other enough to do whatever it takes to keep connected, safe, and serving in ways that Jesus himself would declare Jesus-y. And when the vaccine has been made available to everyone and most folks have gotten it in their arms, when the experts say it's reasonably safe to gather in person in large numbers, we will continue to organize ourselves in ways 
we have learned during this time by live streaming our worship, by integrating Zoom into all our small group meetings, and by intentionally deepening our relationships through meaningful conversations and shared hope. This is our new normal. We've been through some things, beloveds, but we know better than ever before what it will take to get through this season. So tighten your ponytail, church. We've got some water to carry. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.